During our Friday night prayer meeting, the Lord started to inspire me with something from Psalm 8, and I shared very briefly on the phone line Friday night, but it's something that the Lord has continued to minister to me uh, throughout the weekend, and if you want to turn to Psalm 8, I'd like to read the whole psalm again, it's just eight verses. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the portion of this psalm that really spoke to me is in verse 2, which very interestingly, we'll see in a minute, Jesus quoted when he was here on earth. And he gave uh, a very clear affirmation of what this verse is really saying. And let me read again to you from the NIV here, verse 2. It says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. If I were to give a title to this short message that we're going to do today, it would be, Praise Paralyzes the Enemy. Praise Paralyzes the Enemy. Now, David, of course, loved to praise the Lord. We have so many of his psalms uh, in the scriptures where he praised and glorified God. But there's an insight in verse 2 that I don't think is found anywhere else so clearly in the Psalms as what is stated here. David is saying that God ordained praise, and he's specifically talking about children and infants, um, and we'll see how Jesus uh, connects that in a minute, but we're all children, Unless we become like children, we can't enter the kingdom of God. Yes, so, the more childlike we are, I think the more this scripture can apply to us also. From the lips of children and infants, God ordained praise because of something. Note that. He ordained praise because of his enemies. Why? To silence them. To silence the foe and 
the Avenger. You know, I always like to look at the Message Bible, because it's rather a loose paraphrasing of Scripture, but it often gives uh, even a kind of a humorous twist to some of these things, but it helps you to understand, perhaps a little bit more clearly, what the writer may have originally had in mind. Here's verse 2 from the Message Bible. It says, Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out the enemy talk and silence atheist babble. Let me read that again. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. I like that. Drown out enemy talk. I don't know about you, but the enemy likes to talk a lot. And he'll whisper all kinds of things in your ear and he'll even talk through other people to try to get at you. And when the enemy starts talking a lot, it's good to drown him out. And David says you can drown him out real fast with praise. God has ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, go to Matthew 21, and we'll see where Jesus quotes this verse. Very interesting. Matthew 21. And we'll start reading from verse 12 to get the context. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. So after Jesus cleanses the temple, we see clearly two different groups. One group, the blind and the lame, are coming to him, and they're receiving healing from him, and they're praising God for the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant. But notice more carefully, verse 15 When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, they saw the wonderful things Jesus did, and the children shouting in the temple area, quote, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read 
And he's quoting now from our text, Psalm 8-2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. You know, that word ordained is a powerful word. It's, it means it's something that God has established. It is set in place. This is something that's concrete. It's something that God himself has put into place. God ordained praise to shut up the enemy, to silence the foe and the avenger, to paralyze the devil and all of his demons. And it's interesting that right here, after Jesus has cleansed the temple of all the garbage that was there, and he's really ticked off the religious people, the chief priests and all the teachers of the law are indignant, they're mad at him, and here you've got children in the temple shouting praises to him, Hosanna to the Son of David. And Jesus said, Have you never read from the lips of children and infants God ordained praise? You know, I would like to suggest that you and I try this this week, and I don't want to prophesy, but you'll probably have some pretty good opportunities. When trouble comes, when pressure comes, when challenges come, when trials come, instead of analyzing it, instead of trying to figure it out, just open your mouth and start praising God. By the way, if you were not with us on Friday night prayer, Friday was a very interesting day. It wasn't planned, but we found out on the phone line Friday night that it seems that both of your pastors uh, seem to be walking in somewhat the same path these days because we had both broken teeth and we were both sitting in dentist chairs for the better part of the morning having our teeth fixed. And I shared Friday, very honestly, uh, I felt like all day Friday somebody was beating me up. It was just one of those days. But I'm going to be honest with you, in the midst of it all, God taught me just to praise Him. Just praise Him. Don't look at what's going on. Don't try to figure out what's happening. Just praise God for who He is. And you know, there's a mighty victory that comes when you and I learn to praise God no matter what. But here's a little deeper insight now. Jesus says it's a weapon that we can use against the enemy. It paralyzes him. It silences the foe and the avenger. While we're here in Psalms, turn also to Psalm 149. Psalm 149, verses 6 to 9. Psalm 149, 
6 to 9. It says, May the praise of God be in their mouths, and a double-edged sword in their hands, to inflict vengeance on the nations, and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus did. He praised God and he had the double-edged sword. That's the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written to inflict vengeance on the enemy, to bind the devil with fetters and with shackles of iron. Praising God is a powerful weapon, and it feels good too. It's good just to start praising God. And, you know, there's a little chorus I learned years ago. It says, Hallelujah Anyhow. Never, never let your troubles get you down. When life's trials come your way, hold your head up high and say, Hallelujah, anyhow. And it's not just, oh well, I'm going to praise God anyhow, even though everything's going bad. No, I'm going to praise God because God is the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of my circumstances, and this temporary challenge that I'm facing, he's going to bring victory. And the more I praise God, the more he can take vengeance on the foe and my enemies. This will probably be a refresher for you and some of the scriptures we have talked about many times, but I want to run through a couple of examples in scripture just to refresh our hearts and minds on the power of praising God even before anything has changed. Now, it's easy to praise God when a check for $1,000 comes in the mail or 30 people in your family all get saved and take water baptism. And we want to see things like that. But what do you do when you pray and you pray and you fast and you pray and the situation seems to look worse? Can you still praise God? Can you praise God even before there seems to be any kind of a breakthrough in the situation? Well, we start in a very familiar story, and I won't take a lot of time with each one of these because I know you're familiar with them. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have the story of King Jehoshaphat. And... He woke up one morning and he was having a real bad day. A real bad day. Because Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 4, it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Now, I don't know what kind of ites are coming after you, I'm not sure what kind of ites are going to come after me next, but there are lots of ites. Moabites, Ammonites, Meunites. They came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And one thing we learn from this story, they usually don't come alone. They seem to team up. And 
even though they may have once been enemies with each other, they all unite together against us. And so here comes all these enemies that have joined together against King Jehoshaphat. And verse 2 says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat. Don't you love it when people bring you this kind of news? A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Real great news. A vast army is coming against you. Verse 3, alarmed, Jehoshaphat did the right thing. He resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You can read the rest of the story if you're not familiar with it, but Jehoshaphat prays, a prophet stands up and declares not to worry, you're not going to have to fight this battle, don't get down, don't get discouraged, God's going to fight this one for you. Tomorrow, you just march down, and the Lord is going to give you a great victory. But Jehoshaphat does something very strange. In verse 20, it says, Early the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, listen carefully, he appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. This is crazy. This is absolute insanity. You're going to war against a vast army, and like sitting ducks... You're putting your praise and worship team out in front. That's right. Put the singers and the praisers out in front of the army to give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. But how many of you know what seems to be insane to the natural mind is often the wisdom of God? And obviously... Jehoshaphat had heard from the Lord on this one, and he wants to put the praisers out first in the battle. And I love verse 22. As they began to sing, they don't have any swords, they don't have any spears, no cannons, no weapons. As they began to sing and praise, now the prophet had told them, you're not going to need to fight. God's going to fight the battle for you. So Jehoshaphat confirms, if we will just have faith in what the prophets have told us, we're going to be successful. If we just believe in whatever God spoke to us, 
It's going to come to pass. So we don't need to do anything. God said, don't fight this one. I'm going to fight it for you. All we need to do is praise God. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Praise defeats the enemy. That's all they had to do was put praise out in front, God did the rest, and they came home shouting a song of victory because the Lord truly defeated their enemies. Look quickly at another instance in the book of Judges. You all remember Gideon. Gideon also lived in a time of great turmoil. Israel was being oppressed by another one of these ites, the Midianites. And the Midianites were coming and ravaging all of their crops and stealing everything from the Israelites. And the whole nation was greatly impoverished because of these enemies. And you know, sometimes there are enemies that just keep robbing stuff from us, they keep oppressing us, they keep eating away at our finances and eating away at our peace, and there comes a time where we just need to stand up and do what God tells us to do to get rid of this thing. In Judges chapter 6, it says that when the Midianites came up, They were like locusts, swarms of locusts. And it was impossible to count how many of them there were. Judges 6, verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I don't know about you, but I've been sharing this for some weeks now. I am sick and tired of the locusts coming in, the canker worms coming in, and all these Midianites and Gershonites and Ammonites and whatever other kind of ites, and stealing stuff from the people of God. We need to take back what the enemy has been stealing from us. God said he's going to restore everything that these locusts have stolen and eaten up from us. So, here's Gideon. And the Israelites begin to cry out to God for help. Notice the common denominator. That's what Jehoshaphat and the Israelites did in Second Chronicles 20. They began to cry out to God. Help me, Lord. Help us, Lord. God hears you when you cry out for help. And the Lord appears to Gideon, sends down a mighty angel and says, Gideon, you're the man. What? Me? That's right. You're going to deliver... Israel, you're going to bring victory to the people of God. I have chosen you, I am sending you, and you're going to deliver my people out of the hands of Midian. Well, you can read the whole story, but finally, with just 300 men, Gideon does the craziest thing. They take trumpets and torches. 300 men blowing trumpets, shouting, and carrying torches. And that's how they defeated these enemies. But before that happened, 
something very significant takes place. And I believe this is the key to the whole victory. In Judges chapter 6, when the angel appears to Gideon, Gideon says, hold on a minute, I want to go get an animal and sacrifice it, and I want to make an offering to the Lord here. Angel says, okay, go ahead. So, uh, he makes this offering, and picking it up in verse 22, it says, when Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to Gideon, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Verse 24, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there. Altar speaks of sacrifice, but it also speaks of worship. This was an altar of worship that Gideon built. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. Your Bible may say, Jehovah Shalom. This is where we find one of those compound Jehovah name revelations. I am peace. Jehovah means I am. The Lord is peace. Well, you have to stop and think about this a minute. Gideon hasn't even gone to battle yet. He hasn't even faced the Midianites. And here he is building an altar, worshiping, declaring the Lord is peace. That's an interesting experience that Gideon had. Before the battle has even engaged, he's worshiping God and praising God for peace. Sometimes, you know, we're in a storm, and we know we're about to face a battle. And we need to build this same altar and start to praise God and say, Lord, you're my peace. You're my peace. You're going to give me peace in this situation. You said to cast all my cares on you, for you care for me. You said to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, to let my request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep, preserve, govern, rule over my mind. Lord, you are my peace. And indeed... After Gideon built this altar, he chose his 300 men, went out with trumpets, musical instruments again, shouting, declaring victory. And that night with just 300 men, the Lord again brought a great victory to the people. Another scripture we read on Friday night, I'm just going to read it again without a whole lot of comment, because it really doesn't need any explanation. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, you talk about having a bad day. Here's somebody having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, maybe a bad year. Because remember, in these times... Their whole livelihood depended on agriculture. Mm -hmm. 
fig trees, grapevines, olive trees, sheep, cattle, goats. That was their livelihood. So note what's happening here. Habakkuk 3 from verse 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet, I love that word, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I mean, this is messed up. Go to the fig tree, it's not budding. Go out to the vineyards, no grapes on the vines. Go look at my olive trees. The whole crop has failed. I'm going to go out to my fields. Maybe there's some rice or barley or corn or something. No food. Well, at least I've got my livestock. I go to the barn. There's no sheep in the pen. There's no cattle in the stalls. Everything is drying up, failing it's just not producing. Man, you can get down. You can get real down when stuff like this starts to happen. Lost my job, no money in the bank, the credit card bills are due, light bills due, I don't know what to do. Well, we need to learn one little word, the word yet. Mm-hmm. Yet. Devil, I don't care what you think you're going to throw at me. You're not going to stop me from praising my God. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, this is not just some make-believe, pretend thing where I'm going to try to praise God even though I don't feel like it. He's got a reason to rejoice. has nothing to do with fig trees or olive crops or sheep or cattle. His rejoicing is in the Lord. And it's in His salvation. I will be joyful in God my Savior, or some Bibles say, in the God of my salvation. In other words, I don't care what's going on in my material world. I got God. I got salvation. That's plenty for me to rejoice in. I'm going to have a little praise service here because the Lord is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. We used to sing another little chorus, You can't stop me from praising my God. You can't. You just can't stop us from praising God when we have a reason to praise Him. And we do have a reason. He's our Lord. And He's our Savior. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. And of course, we have to make mention here about Job. Nobody that I know of has ever gone through what Job went through. And, you know, next time you think you're having a bad day, Just remember Job 
And the New Testament tells us to remember him. <laughs> when we're in trials, when we're in difficulties, just remember what Job went through. Literally in one day, in one single day, he lost all of his livestock, all of his servants, all of his children. Man, it's, it's unthinkable to lose one child. I've had to do funerals for a few people who have lost their children. Not very pleasant. But he didn't lose one child. He lost all of them. He lost everything in one single day. And you know the, the verse. Job 1, verse 20. After he's gotten bad news after bad news after bad news, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. We usually fall to the ground in pieces. We fall to the ground in discouragement, in self-pity, or worse still, we start shaking our fist at God. Why are you doing this to me? You're a bad God. You're a mean God. I'm not going to trust in you anymore. No, he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. You know, this is really critical for defining not only who you and I are, but it really determines our destiny. And people's lives are shaped and changed when they go through the furnace of affliction, when they go through fiery trials. Two people can go through the same trial and come out very, very differently. I don't want to take a lot of time today, but it, it's, it keeps coming to my mind. You know, we just recently uh, celebrated President's Day. Well, when I was a kid, we actually celebrated Lincoln's birthday and then Washington's birthday. We were very happy because those days we got two, two days off of school instead of one. Lincoln's birthday, I believe, is February 12th. Something very interesting about that date. On that very date, <clears throat> and on that very year, another very important person was born. I may have shared this before, but you may not know this. On the same date and the same year that Abraham Lincoln was born, Charles Darwin was also born. Charles Darwin, the famous evolutionist. And there are some other very strange parallels between these two men. Born on the same day, born in the same year. Um, Charles Darwin was kind of born into a very wealthy, comfortable family and lifestyle. Lincoln 
was born into a very poor home, very poor, meager circumstances. But where the story really gets interesting, a lot of people don't realize this, Charles Darwin was not trained to be a scientist. He went to Cambridge University to be a theologian. His degree was in theology. He wanted to be a minister. Both Charles Darwin and Abraham Lincoln lost children at the age of 12. I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, Lincoln lost a son and Darwin lost a daughter. 12-year-old children taken from them. That was a watershed moment for Charles Darwin. At that moment in his life, he turned against God. He became bitter against God. He said, if that's the way you're going to treat me, I'm not going to serve you. Forget about the ministry. And from then on, he took a downward, downward, downward spiral away from God. And then in 1859, of course, he published his infamous book, Origin of Species, which has revolutionized the world, not for good, but for bad. Abraham Lincoln, on the other hand, after the death of his son, it caused him to begin to seek God. And remember, 1859 is right when the Civil War in America is beginning, Abraham Lincoln is president in the midst of the worst war that ever ripped this country apart. We were fighting against each other. And during that whole trial of losing his child and then being president while the United States is no longer united, it is split and at war with itself, Lincoln turns to God. And he has a real experience with the Lord. And you can see in some of his writings from then on, even his proclamations of national days of prayer and fasting and speeches that he gave. He became a real worshiper of God. How interesting. These two men, literally born on the same day, same year, go through similar challenges in life, one ends up a bitter atheist, the other ends up a worshiper of God, and arguably one of the greatest presidents and greatest leaders that this nation has ever known. You know, what you and I do in our trials and challenges can determine our destiny. We should learn from Job, Naked I came... Naked I depart, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then, of course, turning to the New Testament, and we're going to wind this up in a few minutes. We all know the famous story in Acts 16 of Paul and Silas. Beaten up, persecuted, arrested, it says in Acts 16.22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, 
and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Well, the Lord took me here the other day and he said, you thought you were beaten up? You weren't beaten up. This is beaten up. What's going on with Christians in the Middle East is beaten up. Children being beheaded, crucified by these Islamic monsters. That's being beaten up. These guys were beaten, stripped. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. I wonder what would happen next for you and for me. Would it have the kind of happy ending that Paul and Silas's story has? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You know the rest of the story. The jailer gets saved. His whole household gets saved. Paul baptizes them in the middle of the night, and after he gets bandaged up a little bit, they have breakfast, and he's on his way. Just a, an ordinary day in the apostles' life. They learned to praise God in difficulties. And of course, in closing, we wouldn't be complete without looking at our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, His example. In Matthew 26, He has His Last Supper with the disciples where he informs them, one of you is going to betray me. Tonight, I'm going to be delivered over, and I will be crucified. He says, now, we're going to break bread together, we're going to drink from this cup together, but this is symbolizing what is about to happen tomorrow. My body is going to be broken, my blood is going to be poured out, and through that blood, God is going to make a new covenant. And after he finishes his supper with the disciples, where he says, take, eat, this is my body, drink, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's about to go to Gethsemane to cry out, sweat drops of blood, and then be arrested. And there's a little verse tucked away here that you may have missed. Verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wow. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is singing hymns on the night that he's about to be betrayed, arrested, 
beaten, and then taken to the cross. Finally, on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, everybody knows the passage, from verse 45 to 46, Matthew 27, 45 and 46, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you probably have a note in your Bible, and you should hopefully already know this, but he's quoting from Psalm 22. If you'll turn to Psalm 22, you'll see he's quoting from verse 1. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus knew the whole psalm. I think, I think he had read it many, many, many times and memorized it because the whole psalm describes what he's experiencing on the cross. Verse 1 is just part of the prophecy that is contained here in Psalm 22. Verse 14, for instance, it says, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart has turned to wax, it is melted away within me, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, you lay me in the dust of death, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me, they have pierced my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones, people stare and gloat over me, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. The whole psalm is about the cross. But going back to verse 1, if we go a little further, Jesus doesn't quote this, but I happen to believe that he knew the next couple of verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the, wound, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Here's this word again. Yet. Yet. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. Now, the New American Standard, the New King James, and some of the other translations get this, I believe, a little more accurate and a little more, more close to what it really was saying. They read, Yet you inhabit, or NAS and New King James say, You are enthroned in the praises of Israel. On the day of His crucifixion, hanging on the cross, feeling like he's even been forsaken by his Father, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I cry out and you do not answer me. Yet you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. Man, if Jesus could praise God in that moment, if Job could worship God in his moment, may God help us to learn how to paralyze the enemy with praise. God has ordained praise to silence the foe, to shut the mouth of the enemy, to bind him with chains and fetters of iron. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the ordaining of praise. You've ordained it as something powerful, something that not only brings joy to our hearts and to your heart, but it shuts the mouth of the enemies. As we agree with you, as we claim your word and your promises, and even before we're seeing anything happening, we're praising you for the victory. We're praising you for the answer that's on the way. God, it is a powerful weapon to destroy and to paralyze every enemy. And Lord, as that message translation said, to drown out enemy talk and to silence atheist babble. God, let the praises of our God be on our lips continually. Teach us, O oh God, to praise you at all times. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. And even when it seems like we're having a tough day, it seems like things aren't going real well, teach us to rejoice in you and to rejoice in your great salvation. God, I thank you and I praise you for each and every one that is participating in this uh, church service in this message by phone today. Bless each and every one. Make us more than conquerors in every situation, in everything. Teach us to give thanks to you, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.